welcome back. You're joining us today for our 18th episode of Opportunity Thrives. I'm your host, Jason Mitchell, and on this show, we are committed to better supporting the needs of today's secondary students. Through interviews with students, teachers, administrators, technologists, and education influencers, we want to understand what's working in our schools today, what's not, and how we can impact positive and lasting change. We'd love to hear your feedback and suggestions on our show. Please click in the podcast notes to leave us a review, to provide input, or to send us any questions. You can also reach out to us at info at opportunitythrives.com. Today, we are hosting a special joint episode of Opportunity Thrives with Talk Soups, a podcast hosted by Doug Roberts, the CEO and founder of the Institute for Education Innovation. Doug, we are so excited that you could join us for today's episode. Good morning, Jason. Thank you for having us, and we're excited to be here. You are a real podcaster, broadcaster. I am an absolute hack who runs a business that happens to have some amazing people in it who have amazing stories, and I consider myself very lucky that I get to spend time with these these tremendous people who run school districts in our country and uh, who are currently probably working one of the most difficult jobs in America. You can't win for trying right now, and they're all working crazy hours to, to deliver education for students during unbelievable challenges. And Talk Soups is here to share their stories with, with America. We also, we like to have these discussions about the overlap between, or sort of the entrepreneurial spirit that runs through school superintendents and the folks on the, on the industry side who work with school districts. So it's an honor to be here with you. Um, and thanks for having us. It is our pleasure, Doug. Thank you for what you're doing. You and your whole team, you provide an invaluable contribution to our society. So thank you for that. And I, we know it's challenging. So keep up the great work. The, what we know is the pandemic has created one of the biggest disruptions in education that any of us have ever experienced. And the demands on educators, along with that shift to virtual learning and very strict new guidelines for health and safety, they're unparalleled and one of the most challenging environments that our school systems have ever faced. And more than ever, districts are leaning on technology partners and private industry to support these dynamic and evolving needs that are required by the pandemic. And in this new era of distance learning, we really want to find out what matters. And even beyond that, what's the responsibility of these technology partners and the digital curriculum partners that are coming and working alongside schools with everyone working together to make sure that our students succeed? So we're going to dive into this topic today with our guest. First, in addition to Doug, we also have Dr. Andy Crozier, who is currently serving in his 10th year as the public school superintendent and his fifth year at the Central League Community School District in Donaldson, Iowa. We also have Dr. Donald Shively of the Paducah Public Schools in Paducah, Kentucky. Welcome, Dr. Shively and Dr. Crozier. It's great to have you both with us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Jason. Glad to be here. Well, fantastic. Well, tell you what, let's get started. I'm sure that you've all heard about that infamous tweet shared by Superintendent Susan Enfield on March 11th. Here's what she said. I'm quoting her. It's 9 p.m. and I finally have time to send this message to every vendor, solution partner, researcher, advocate, uh, education advocate, etc. Please stop. Just stop. My superintendent colleagues and I are confronting school closures and we need to focus on our communities. Let us do our jobs. So that was sort of the tweet that was shared around the world of educators. And the question that, that we have for you all is, what did those vendor partner relationships look like since March? How has it changed since then? Doug, do you want to get us started? 
Sure. I, I, Andy and Donald should should talk about this uh, on the ground level. I can tell you that you know we, we're honored to have Susan as a, a member of our advisory board and one of our founding members. I, I follow Susan's tweets as much as anybody does, and the the spirit of Susan's comments really, you know, that she, she's a mentor to to me and to our organization, and they run through kind of everything that we do. That we're trying to help avoid this this problem where. A district leader feels overwhelmed with people who may be, you know, providing really good information that they need to hear. We're trying to cut through the noise. And I think that, you know, I, I've seen the the priorities shift with our district leaders. You know, I think they were in the middle of probably some really great planning for next year around curriculum, et cetera. And then all of a sudden they have to learn how to essentially outfit a hospital almost with PPE and stuff like that. And that's that's a tremendous shift in sort of you know, having to get up to speed really quick, you know, Donald, Andy and their colleagues, they, they, they came up as teachers, not as hospital administrators. So watching all of you um, very quickly adapt to this has been remarkable. But yeah, no, I think that the, the, the spirit of, of her tweet in that exasperated moment was sort of saying, read the room, people, <laughs> understand where they are and try to show some empathy because you know it's not always about it's not always about closing that deal, and it's not always about your business, especially when uh, they're facing you know a, a massive challenge like this. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, and and she's so empathetic. She has she's just an extraordinary leader and an extraordinary person. Dr. Crozier, uh, do you want to comment on this as well? Yeah, I think she's right. In the middle of June and July, superintendents throughout the nation were so stressed out with just the idea of how do we return to school that trying to develop and build new relationships in the vendor world, which is an important part of our job, was not the highest priority uh, for us. And then from an email perspective or any type of communication, we're just getting flooded with all these requests from vendors wanting to know what our needs are, while at the same time trying to manage all the staff emails and the parent emails uh, regarding what school is going to look like in the fall. So it just became overwhelming to a point that we just, we shut it all off. So we, we stopped at Central E and said, okay, who are our most trusted vendors? Uh, and that's where we're going to go to first, looking at the people that we've built strong relationships with. Because part of the reason that it was hard to just navigate this vendor world and during COVID, especially over the summer, was some people were sending out marketing emails on things that they, quite frankly, could not deliver in a timely manner. So uh, it was trying to figure out, okay, what's quality? Uh, and then also who can actually deliver this by August 24th, which was our school start date. And that just became very difficult to to navigate through. And so, like I said, we paused and said, okay, who are our most trusted vendors? Who will we relied on during the good times? Uh, and they will help us get it through some of the difficult times. And luckily that approach worked for us well. And then there were a few things that were some niche areas that we were not very well experienced on that we either uh, networked with some of our other superintendents to find out where they got uh, resources from, or we were seeking it out ourselves and making contacts with those vendors. But very rarely do we make decisions or we buy products based off a, a mail merge email that comes into my inbox that either doesn't have my 
name spelled correctly or refers to me as Crozier rather than dear Dr. Crozier or dear Mr. Crozier or dear Andy. It's just kind of laughable how careless some of these are. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I think both you and Superintendent Enfield have have really highlighted sort of the tone deafness of marketing during that, that time. Dr. Shively, what about from your perspective? Well, I absolutely would agree with Dr. Crozier on tuning out all that noise um, that was coming through the mill merge, et cetera. But the, uh, the focus for us is what's best for children. And that's what we were defining as early as May, thinking what the fall is going to look like. And so with that, as we started discussing what school would look like, um, the challenge here in Kentucky has been that our state department and our state public health has continued to change what we've had to do to ensure children could be back in school. And so as we've defined that and looked at what's best for students, we did the same thing Dr. Crozier talked about. We went back to who do we trust Mm -hmm. um, and what's that look like. And then for us, I think having the relationship with IEI was important because there was a network of other superintendents across the nation that looked similar to us, um, that had similar problems, demographics. And so we were in conversations constantly about how they were going to solve the challenges that uh, educating children, not only in person, but virtually during a pandemic. If I may, Jason, I want to point out what, what both Dr. Crozier and Dr. Shively said. They used the word who. We went back to the peop- the you know the vendors who we trust, the people who we trust, those personal relationships mean a lot and trust is, is earned. I wanted to ask, uh, so I wanted to sort of just put that out there for those in the vendor community, focus on, focus on building trust, not only in, in what you do, but really in, in who you are and why you do it and the kind of people you are and why you've chosen to go into the business of supporting school districts with your solution. But I wanted to ask if I could, you know, uh, Donald and, and Andy have a lot of solution providers came out with, pandemic offerings that they were giving for free or for a reduced price or something, or they would add on a service. There was a lot of that stuff happening. People were, I saw a lot of companies trying to step up and help out and do the right thing. And it was, it was pretty, pretty neat to see. Wondering if either of you took advantage of any of those and if any of that, that kind of thing was, was effective or did it seem like more marketing noise? Oh, absolutely. I'll give you a story. I, I won't name the company that sure. did this, but we were, as we were going through some of our predicted expen- expenditures for this school year and trying to determine, you know, what we could cut out, not only from a standpoint of cost wise, but also what we could possibly take off staff's plate a little bit. There was one vendor who we had worked with for the last couple of years uh, and that we told them that we were not going to renew the contract uh, because of COVID, and we didn't think it was imperative with everything going on. But we we did feel that that the company had value just wasn't the top of our priority list. And, and that company came back to us within 24 hours and said, "We get it. We understand where you're at. We value you as a customer, and so therefore we're going to give you our product for free, with the understanding that we want to sustain this relationship and keep you as a customer long term." And that was something that just kind of blew me away uh, that they were just going to give the product to us for free for a year. It's not something we asked them to do. It's something that they completely offered up to us, knowing that we had other. Uh, obstacles in our way that had nothing to do with their product, even though their product did kind of help us 
enhance kind of the things that we're doing. But more or less, it was just such a honorable gesture that they were going to offer the product for free, knowing that they're probably going to keep us long term, which, you know, for us, that solidified our relationship with them and that we do plan to be with them for a long time, uh, simply because of that gesture that they made to us during a, a very difficult time for our school district. The uh, the lesson there for for the, those investing in K-12 companies is this is not a place to make a quick buck and flip your stock and get out. This is a this is a long-term endeavor. So if you're going to invest in, in, in a K-12 company, and you see this from all the, you know, because at IEI, we have all different types, flavors, sizes, shapes of companies come through and we get bootstrapped companies where founders put their own money and time into it. We get venture-backed and a, a common theme from the from the bootstrapped or the ones who just take a couple angel investors is that they sort of get this long-term process, the, the long haul that, you know, you build relationships with school districts slowly and really state by state. The other, the other big thing I see that, that frankly frustrates me is some of the companies that are backed, it's typically venture-backed or PE-backed companies will come to IEI and say, you know, we're only interested in meeting with the districts that have over 10,000 kids or 20,000, you know, we're only working with big districts. And there have been companies who've tried that as a strategy and go look at what happened with them as they exited versus peers. It's, it doesn't tend to work out, or if it does, it's a long slog. You're going to work in the K-12 industry, especially now as the districts are facing these these um, terrible, terrible new challenges. You need to be willing to work with districts that have a thousand kids, or five thousand kids, or twelve thousand, or forty thousand, and you need to be able to be responsive to them because if you can't build a K-12 business while ignoring eighty percent of the districts out there, and you have to play the long game. So if you if you I get that a thousand school a thousand student district is not going to be what you what you build your business on, but it's not just that thousand districts, it's thousand student district. It's the ones next door and surrounding, and it's the county agency that supports them. Put yourself on the map in a few States, then you can have a really successful business in K-12. This just, it's not finance. It's not investment banking. And I just, I, my, my, I say it all the time, any investors who will listen to me, um, I know how districts work, play the long game and you'll be able to impact lives and have a nice business relationships matter and reputations matter for, for that matter. I think that you highlighted that very well, but um, all three of you have mentioned the importance of this environment of having uh, flexibility and the ability to respond to, to changing needs. So that sort of begs the question of what companies or what kind of companies do you want to hear from right now? And who don't you want to hear from? I'll jump in here and say, you know, we're talking about relationships prior to this and, you know, relationships come from trust and trust comes from congruency of what you say you're going to do and what you do. And so as needs for our district and our children arise and we start investigating how to solve them, it's really going to be the references we're getting from other districts is, is what we're going to lean on hard relative to companies. It's not an email. It's not a phone call. I'm not surfing my um, outlook deleted emails checking of what vendor we're looking for, but it's going to be reaching out to trusted superintendent to discuss, you know, our needs. And if they align to something they've solved or they're working on, you know, what's the relationship, what's the congruence of what they say they're going to do and what they're going to do with each one of these companies. So Donald, can I push back on that a little bit? Because I think in, in normal times, that's, that's sort of almost every superintendent I've ever spoken to feels that way. And that's great. But 
there's a lot of stuff coming out right now. And I, I've, I've shared some of this with you all by email in our weekly emails, but I'm getting inbound calls from things that I barely understand. I myself am trained as a teacher. I understand somebody who wants to teach social emotional learning or has an op, a tool for operationalizing, uh, delivering digital content. I, I get that. I don't know anything from air filters. <laughs> and so I'm getting calls because they want to talk to our districts and it's, it's technology that that's, you know, a little bit above my, my science pay grade. I'm wondering how you all deal with, with stuff that's just completely, completely out of the realm of what you used to be dealing with. And, you know, how do you, how do you get into a space where no one has any relationships because none of these companies have ever really worked directly with school districts, or maybe they have through other channels and I'm not aware but how are you handling this whole new batch of tools and solutions that are coming in to try to help you keep the kids safe in this pandemic? And Doug, I'll laugh and smile. You'll probably cut this out, but my dad was an HVAC contractor. So I grew up doing that and I've got my license or I used to have my license to do that as I was going through college. You know, that that's the situation that is becoming challenging when you start looking at all the ways you have to solve just to go to school with kids and we're on our 13th day with students and in school. So with that, for me, specifically to the example you gave, it, it's, it's working with our, you know, our engineering firm that represents us on several projects right now and taking recommendations from that. Would you agree that's the approach, Andy? Well, it's, it's a little bit different because I, you know, we are a much smaller school district than Paducah. And so I would say for us, when it comes to deciding what vendors we're going to work with, a lot of it has to do with we can't we can't implement a new system that's going to take a considerable amount of professional development while we're trying to deal with returning to learn in the midst of a pandemic. So what we're looking for is we're not looking for broad changes. We're looking for right. things that enhance our delivery system, whether it's face-to-face or online. Uh, it's got to be easy to implement. And if they can't show us a proven method of how we make that easy for teachers, then we're not going to go for it, even though we may say it's a great product and may consider it later on. Uh, yeah. We've got to be able to scale that up very quickly uh, because we're not in the uh, mode of taking two to three months to scale it up to every student. We want to be able to do that in a matter of days. So that way we can take advantage of something quickly because sometimes it's a, it's a need that we don't know is a need today, but will be a need tomorrow based on whatever conditions arise in our local community. Uh, And then lastly, we've got to make sure that there's sustained quick professional development. So we don't have time to spend a whole day in professional development right now, but we can do little bits and pieces over time. And that way it's it's much more easier for our staff to digest and then also implement uh, with our local instructional coaches here on site. But I think overall, just the, the process for taking on a new product with a vendor they have to understand that decision-making in some cases is much slower. And uh, Dr. Shively talked about how he runs it through an engineering firm. For us, we're just our, our, our administrative meetings and our team meetings are not happening at the pace that they're normally happening because we have all these other issues that are getting in the way. So the decision-making time is, is somewhat slower in some cases. If it's not an emergency decision that I've got to make for my office right now, then the process for determining whether or not we're going to adopt a product is just 
probably went from a couple weeks to we're now looking at six weeks to make a decision in some cases. Hmm. And, and let me jump in. I had to what Dr. Crozier just said. Two, two simple things for us. One is we can't do everything. There's no way. And there's lots of great things out there. Like you said, Doug, there's new and inventive things coming. We're excited to learn more about them. But asking our teachers to do any more would be a revolt. Um, you know, that, that's a challenge for them to teach students in person and virtually at the same time and learning how to do that on the fly. And, and with that, some things that we have did add that we're slowly bringing in, as we just discussed, was, you know, how customizable, how flexible is the professional development delivery? And is the company willing to work with us, listen to us, and deliver the professional development to meet our needs, not their model? If I can just dig in a little bit deeper on those questions, Dr. Crozier, you talked a little bit about the process changing, and, and Dr. Shively, you talked about the mindset changing. Uh, we saw a lot of districts take a different approach to the, the products that they were going to move forward with in the fall. And, and we saw districts that were engaging committees that had stakeholders that included parents, uh, teachers, um, counselors, people that were not typically involved in curriculum decision making. And that, to me, that, that talks a little bit about the, the shift in both mindset and process. Did, did either of you make those changes as far as the way that you procured products that you were going to use in the fall? I, I don't think so. I think we've always been uh, a system that has generated considerable amount of input from our staff and students and community and teachers. Uh, some of the things that we had to make decisions on, quite simply, I didn't need any input on. I just knew that we needed it. But there were some things that we did. And in Iowa, we have a unique system. We have the AEAs, which is our regional service agencies. And you know, they are kind of a filter for us when it comes to vendor products, when it comes to the curriculum and instruction sphere. And so we definitely use their feedback and advice on products that are out there that could help us because they do have a team of curriculum experts that, that do go through the process of trying to determine whether or not a product is um, viable or will be useful for school districts. But um, I think when it came to this, this summer was different because we were just trying, it was all about speed and trying to make sure we were ready for August 24th. But now that we're in the school year, I think we're back to our normal input systems, which does involve a lot of those stakeholders. It probably doesn't involve parents near as much simply because in our school, our restrictions are that they can't be on site. Uh, we don't allow guests in our buildings right now because of the pandemic. And we are still having a lot of face-to-face -face meetings. So we're kind of leaving that voice out locally, but it's not intentional, just the kind of the process that we're using right now. You, you mentioned that the superintendents in your organization tend to be a little bit ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. This is a time to hunker down and continue to build those relationships and, and listen and learn and be positioned that hopefully this spring, if things are looking good for next year, then you can go, we can get back to normal with the process of districts vetting curriculum and other, other kinds of solutions. But can we talk about the, the budget cut challenges coming? Cause that, that's a real, that's a, that's going to be a real problem depending on, depending on each district sort of formula for getting aid from the state and feds. But Andy and Donald, what are you guys hearing in your states about what might be coming down the road for you? 
Oh, I think it's kind of the elephant in the room right now for every superintendent across the nation is just what's what's after the pandemic or what's on the backside of this, especially this school year. Right now, we're, we are already anticipating at least a 0% increase, uh, if not a negative uh, for next year. And so trying to determine what that number is going to be is is really hard right now. We haven't had our, our latest revenue estimating conference here in Iowa to kind of determine a possible path forward. But I think every superintendent's just waiting patiently to find out what that's going to be. But you know, until we know, it does make our decision-making process a little bit more difficult because it's hard to take risk uh, right now with anything uh, when you know that there could be a possible budget cut looming. And so just like what every family does, if there's a potential loss of job or loss of revenue in the home, they tighten up their belt a little bit. So that way they have a cushion to get them through some of the more difficult times and school districts are no different. For us, it's right now, you know, we're going to be up uh, several kids this year will probably be up almost almost 5% in enrollment, which is outstanding. Mm. But that's going to be probably offset by either getting a negative state increase or a 0%. And so um, we still have to deal with our budget salary increases and those pieces because we do have to make sure that we stay competitive, but also we have all these other expenditures that have popped up over the past four months that were not necessarily in our budget to begin with. Did the CARES Act cover it all? The CARES Act was a complete joke for us here at Central Lee. So I, um, talking about kind of Twitter tirades, um, I kind of went on one after we got the CARES Act funding because if you look at the state of Iowa and you look at the per pupil distribution of CARES Act funding, Central Lee received like $80 per kid. And there were school districts in the state of Iowa that received over $600 per, per kid. And so it wasn't equitable at all. It followed the Title I formula, which Title I formula is, is set in place for a reason, but every school district was equally affected by the um, pandemic, even though the CARES Act, at least in Iowa, and I'm, and I'm not sure how other states rolled it out, in Iowa, it was not equitably distributed among all 300 plus school districts. That, that's a whole other podcast discussion, I'll tell you that much. Sure. You know, in Kentucky, it's it's the discussions completely around what's the state shortfall coming in FY twenty one, and so how that's going to impact public education. You know, as a school district, we're about seventy five percent free and reduced lunch, but we're right at at least general fund fifty percent locally funded and fifty percent state funded through the Seek formula. But I can tell you that uh, we had. $628,000 of unpaid property and tangible tax last year. So I'm looking at about 5% of my local money that I should have received. But we didn't on top of what we're talking about from a... And when, when will you feel that? Right now, I've got four construction projects going on currently. One of them is entirely federally funded, but the other three are somewhat generally funded. And so there's a huge impact with that. And I think the, you know, you look at, for example, what we've got to do for air quality, it's not only filters, but it's also how we're moving air constantly in our classrooms, how we're bringing fresh air in periodically through the day, just because that's, that's safer. And so with that, electric bills are going to go up. And so there's all these rising costs due to the pandemic. We weren't a one-to-one district. And so we've had to make a large purchase out of the CARES money to purchase computers. And so 
all that makes you very conservative when it comes to adding something new right now. But I would go back to, and I think echo what you said, Doug, relative to right now is for us, it would be building relationship with, with us as district leaders. And as, as things change going forward, what would it look like from a partner agreement? And how would we make that work within our district? And, you know, I, I would say what, what I've said to ed tech founders, you know, even since before founding IEI, when I was a strategy consultant to them, you always have to, if, you know, because I'm always dealing with people who, who have the better mousetrap. The districts currently do it this way. If they do it this way, they can do these five additional things for the same price, or they can save X dollars per student, right? And so you got to continue to make that case if, you know, knowing that that districts are really not wanting to make any big changes right now or do any big training professional development efforts that are going to cost time. Um, if you've got something that can help a district do better for the same or, or ideally less money, figure out exactly what you're replacing. Even if you're replacing paper or you're replacing uh, manual data entry or something that's not a system per se, but is just sort of a practice figure out what you're replacing, figure out what the thing you're replacing currently costs them and make sure that, and don't just talk dollars, think about staff hours, right? And then then we're back to, to, to the way folks have been building partnerships with districts for years. And to Donald's point, it comes down to investing in those relationships and building trust and reputation. Hey, Doug, I want to pick up on that. One of the, one of the questions that I'm hearing from, from vendors right now is, how do they demonstrate the efficacy of their partnership uh, or the value that they bring to that equation? It, it used to be, you know, predicated on a test score increase or or, or uh, whatever metric they were using. But you just articulated a different value proposition than I've heard most vendors articulate when they have a conversation with the superintendent. So in addition to, to that, are there other things that vendors should be talking about when they're engaging in conversations with superintendents that demonstrate the value of their partnership? So I would say the, the reliance on, you know, test scores, I'm sure Andy, Donald, and all their colleagues would say, sure, if that something is measurably to improve student achievement to the extent that they trust those assessments, that would be a good thing. But that's not going to be the only decision-making factor for anybody there are so many different factors. The beauty of working with districts that don't have 100,000 kids is that you can actually, you can talk more about kind of common sense and anecdotal results. And if you're a newer company, you don't have to have the three-year double-blind study, but rather you've got the relationship. You seem to be competent. You seem to be passionate. You're doing it for the right reason. And you earn the trust of the leadership team. And we see this all the time. Companies will come to IEI. They only have a couple of districts somewhere in the country and they have none in Kentucky or Iowa. And so um, Dr. Crozier, Dr. Shively are thinking about, am I going to be the first district in, a, in my state to try this thing? And then they vet them and they ask tough questions. And then they say, all right, now you got to get my team to buy into this. And Doug, what you're also going to get is not only are we going to say, Hey, this works. You're going to have a teacher that's doing it, you know, day in, day out telling other colleagues, Hey, this was successful. This is how this went for me. And as a superintendent, as a district level leader, you don't have to sell it at that point because you've got that pilot, you've got that momentum, you've got somebody being very positive about it to their colleagues. And so teachers are definitely the, the show me analogy you had earlier. Yeah, I guess I'll, 
I'll chime in on this too. So Doug, you talked about how everyone has, um, you know, the research and data that shows student achievement based on their product. Uh, and it's really, it's, it, it's kind of a mute point when people talk anymore because we, we just always know that every company is going to try to prove their value uh, to us, even though we spend very little time digging into their research. Uh, that's kind of where we lean on our AEA to help us out with some of those pieces. But it just it's, it was almost like a broken record for any type of curriculum tool out there over the past four or five years. It's always going to raise your test scores uh, or your student achievement. And it was always tied to uh, core curriculum. And so it just we always look for something beyond those two reasons because we just knew that everyone was going to list those two things. So I, I like what you said about you've got to get it into the hands of classrooms and get some teacher uh, feedback on the product. And I, I do love what you said that not every pilot has to be free, you know, that the analogy of everything being free or having some skin in the game by paying for it. All you have to do is look at how successful Weight Watchers is, is why the free analogy doesn't always work. Yeah. We, we all know what we need to do to eat better, but once people pay for that Weight Watchers membership, they take it to heart a little bit more because money's coming out of their pocket to be part of that group. So it's the same thing with uh, academics and education that you know, if we're paying for something, especially from the from the top as the superintendent, we're going to take a little bit more uh, participation in seeing that that pilot is successful or at least that we give it our best effort because we are we do have a little bit of skin in the game dr crozier and dr shively i've got a a question for you and i i'm i i don't want this to come across as tone deaf or the inability to read the room but what's been interesting about the last couple of podcasts that we've done particularly during this pandemic era is from students to teachers to experts Everybody has largely focused on the challenges, but they've all also highlighted a silver lining or, or some sort of opportunity for innovation that has positively benefited their, their kids and an opportunity that wouldn't have arisen without this pandemic. Do either of you have examples of silver linings that you've seen as a result of this? Jason, I'll jump in. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm ecstatic about the opportunities not only in July, but also in August, as we were making the decision to go back in-person school against the governor's recommendation, what we try to focus on as we were having that conversation was the opportunity as we offered both in-person and virtual instruction was that our teachers, our classroom teachers, we believe you learn best from them, they were going to be leading both in-person and virtual, and it wasn't going to be a program-led virtual and so as we talk through that opportunity, there are videos of uh, sometimes teaching to the entire class. Sometimes they're pre-recorded videos, but every concept across grade levels across our district is being recorded. And the opportunity to create that video recurriculum from our Paducah Public Schools teacher who are building relationships with children and parents and the community members and have relationships through their years. The opportunity to have that access changes after this year, which is going to be tough and our teachers are feeling it. But at the same time, that opportunity to change how we engage students going forward, how we engage families. If, you, if you're absent in a day, 
here's the video from yesterday you can watch. If you are going on an FBLA trip or you have to leave early for an athletic trip, here's the video. You don't miss the in-class instruction. Mm -hmm. If you make a poor choice and have to go to a goal room or in-school detention, the curriculum opportunity is very similar with the online delivery of our teachers or the exact concepts in the classroom. Think about tutoring at church where pastors and church members can bring up the teacher teaching that concept. Think about parents at home trying to help their child and they can dial that back up. I've, I've said we're, we're kind of creating a little bit of our own Khan Academy. Mm-hmm. And so the opportunity for that is tremendous. And especially with the challenges we see with 6% minority students, 75% free and reduced lunch before the pandemic and whatever our exact unemployment rate is now. And so it, it, it's, it's game changing. Those opportunities for real time, anywhere learning and customization from our teacher. And so that's a, <laughs> I'm pumped, but I, but I wouldn't not stop and say our teachers are doing a tremendous job. It's a challenge to juggle in person and online at the same time. And we, we took into consideration our school schedule relative to that impact for our teachers. And we're basically six weeks of fall break, six weeks and Thanksgiving week. We're off three weeks to Christmas, six weeks into February, where we took a winter break um, and six weeks of spring break six weeks to graduate. And so we wanted a rhythm and a small um, time there so our teachers could stay in front pre-recording. And then in addition to that, it gives us an opportunity to bring outside vendors in to do some very specific sanitation in our buildings throughout the year that are above and beyond what we're doing every day. And I heard a superintendent say yesterday, because of this, we'll never have another snow day again. And it, it speaks <laughs> to your point, like, you know, you guys are building the, the curriculum, you're doing it. Yeah, it's exciting. It's just the access and inequity that we're dealing with and the challenges. I know we're talking positives um, and this is a positive. Our assistant superintendent and some pastors and some community members have a led a strong effort to ensure access, high-speed access, uh, internet access for students across the district. And we're, and we're getting real close to ensuring that um, in a you know 3,000 student district, K through 12. So that's exciting. It's, it's rising to the challenge. Yeah, that is exciting. Dr. Crozier, from your perspective, any silver linings? I think the biggest silver lining is that um, we have now once again elevated the importance of education and public education in our society. Um, even though it is still a, a political tool for Republicans and Democrats, which is upsetting, I think from a local community standpoint, our community has rallied around our return to learn and the importance of our kids not only being here face to face, but also having some online learning opportunities now and for the foreseeable future. So I also like the the return to a lot more local control and, and making decisions based on our local environments, not necessarily what is best for large or small schools, but just determining uh, how we operate and what makes the most sense for our kids here in our local school district. I think the biggest thing for me, though, overall is just the appreciation of 
our staff here uh, with that I work with every day. Um, I always felt like my staff was flexible and always willing to try and take on new risk. And the pandemic has made that go up tenfold. Um, now they're they're almost willing to do anything to meet a better outcome or a better situation for our students or parents at home. And so um, it's giving the opportunity for staff to take on considerable risk in an environment where if they fail, it's okay. Uh, but ultimately, um, they're getting the opportunity to, to, to try things that they've always wanted to try or um, systems to be able to try things. And, and let's be honest, if, if things don't go well, we adjust and we shift in a matter of hours or days or weeks rather than months and years. And so everything is happening at such a quick pace that it's, it's almost fun to see systems evolve and change during this time. And we have learned so much things that we will, even little things that we will never do again, or things that we have changed due to the pandemic that we are going to sustain even when this uh, passes. So it's it's been an exciting time. And I'm just very appreciative that we have this opportunity for people to take on new risk and challenges without the fear of failure, because let's be honest, we fail every day uh, mm-hmm. in COVID. So failure is okay, but it's really just showing that we can adapt and change and find a path to success is, is really what's most important to me as a superintendent. Excellent. Failing forward. Doug, do you have any other questions you want to ask? Uh, no, I just, I would maybe just want to uh, say to your audience that if you want to hang out with people like Andy and, and Donald and get to have these kinds of discussions, you know, we're, we're having four superintendent retreats over the next month. And why did I pack them into a month? Because the soups are going to be in person with us and we got to do stuff outside because of the pandemic. So I have to pack it into the warm weather months, but Georgia, Illinois, upstate New York and Pacific Northwest and out in the Cascades in Washington, we have spots available, you know, get in touch with us. The The partners can participate both virtually or, or in person. And we're doing everything. Um, we're, we're doing, we're going way beyond what the CDC uh, or the local state uh, regs are around the in-person stuff in terms of safety. So reach out and get in touch and thanks for having us on. This has been really great. Absolutely. Uh, and thank you all for, for joining us. I, I, I agree with you. This has been a really fun episode and we, we love partnering up with IEI and to make this happen and local experts on the ground. Um, I, I just say for our listeners that the advice that, that you all have given, the insights that you've shared it's invaluable and you're going to definitely provide an impact to, to other district leaders who are looking for that, uh, that, that insight. Thank you all for your time. I, I, I know you're busy and you have a lot on your plate right now. So thank you, all of you. Well, Jason, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And this was fun. Good, 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 good. All right. Get back to your students, guys. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Have right. a great day. Uh, yeah. All right. Thanks, Doug. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really fun episode and we love partnering up with Doug and IEI to make this happen. Your advice and your insights, they have been invaluable and they will most certainly benefit other district leaders as they determine how to maximize their relationships with their partners. And to our Opportunity Thrives listeners, thank you for your time today. Please reach out to us with any questions or comments at info at opportunitythrives.com. Thank you so much for tuning in today and we will see you next time.